The topic that I thought we could talk about today, which seems um, apropos, is um, finding peace. So it seems like when, uh, often when we hear the word peace talked about, we immediately look outside of ourselves. You know, the big, the big issues. You know, if they could just get it settled out there, then I could relax. You know, I couldn't, you know, I'd, I wouldn't need to be quite so anxious about, I don't know, extinction of the species or demise of the planet or. Or violence against others. I mean, there's plenty of things to be concerned about out there, and the, the sense is that, um, you know, unless we're directly involved in those somehow, you know, we're either a climate scientist or a politician or, you know, someone with vast wealth that can influence policy, that it somehow those issues seem so vast that uh, it seems to be beyond our ability to do anything about. Ever feel like that, sort of like a bit helpless in the face of challenges that seem to be out there these days? But in a, in a sense, when we view those issues as if they were somehow independently existing, you know, that they just were out there in the universe somewhere as independent issues. Um, you know, we sort of deprive ourselves from seeing that they're not independent at all. They're, they're really um, a function of humanities, um, collective, view of the world, view of themselves, how that, how that expresses in, in total. Um, you know, so that it's not like they exist in a vacuum just as a, an idea or a concept that has consequences, but it's actually the result of um, all of us, um, you know, expressing you know, life from our individual viewpoint and the net result, the con net consensus of all of that is what we see, the world at large, right? So, I mean, we can, you know, point fingers at certain political parties or, um, you know, certain ideologies or certain ethnicities or certain races or, you know, on and on you know, making distinctions as, as if that was, um, you know, an identifiable cause. Right. I remember um,
Eckhart Tolle had a retreat up at Omega just days after 9-11. And, uh, you know, some, somebody, of course, asked him, you know, how can, how can that level of violence happen? And the, the point that he made um, was that it was a matter of degree. You know, that, you know, those terrorists believed in their actions sufficiently to actually carry them out, believed in their own own certainty, believed in the certainty of the people that were encouraging them um, to carry out that act. But Eckhart's point was that it was just a matter of degree, you know, that all of us, when we, um, you know, see differences, when we judge, when we're certain, you know, when we believe in the absolute rightness of our opinions, that, um, you know, maybe we don't act on them. You know, maybe we just act rude or <laughs> say something mean to somebody else or dismiss somebody else or judge somebody else. Um, but the distinction between that and f flying an airplane into a building, um, Eckhart's point was just it was a matter of degree. Same, same mental position, same degree of... Um, you know, belief I'm right and they're wrong and this justifies, this, this means justifies that end. Um, you know, so we don't fly airplanes in the buildings, but um, that mental position is not all that different. And we can have ideas about how, how things can change. You know, if I could relax if only, you know, someone would take care of that issue. You know, someone, someone else. Um, you know, if they just did what I know is right, then that would be resolved. Um, and, you know, we seem to have great faith in, in you know, big, conclusions like that. Um, you know, the uh, First World War was advertised as the, the war to end all wars. Didn't quite prove to be true. It was just violence at, you know, on top of violence. Not that, you know, the war shouldn't have been fought, but the idea that it would be fought to uh, create peace um, doesn't doesn't work. I mean, we can um, you know look at the wars that we fought in the Middle East. I, I remember in nineteen what was it nineteen seventy one. Um, you know, Muslims still liked 
Americans and you could travel overland to India. And I remember um, driving through Afghanistan, um, feeling totally safe, uh, feeling um, uh, just that the people there were just proud, independent. Um, I felt totally safe walking alone in the back streets of Kabul through the bazaars. You know, these old Afghans come in out of the desert with their 19th century muskets and standing on the side watching you go by. Felt totally comfortable. And somehow, somehow we believed that um, you know, we could bomb the country and earn their love and respect. And, but it's just, you know, violence begets violence. So, um, you know, the, the belief that somehow the, the, the means justify, um, you know, a noble desire like peace or democracy or whatever, whatever the end point is, if we believe that we can go about that through a means that isn't peaceful, that does not respectful of other people's culture and society and history, etc., um, it, 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 it will be doomed to failure. So it's, it's relatively easy to see that on a political scale, global scale, etc., like we've just been talking about. Um, but as it becomes a little closer to home, it's, it's maybe not quite as easy to look at. Um, so that uh, when we sort of pull our attention back from maybe global issues that are, you know, beyond our capacity to deal with directly as a, as a global issue that we don't happen to be in a position to uh, change things at that level. But um, the question then comes back to, you know, how, how am I in my day-to-day -day activities? You know, if I go into the grocery store, you know, do I go into the grocery store and relate to the checkout clerk as a real person? You know, is there, I don't know, just mutual respect? Is there kindness there? Is there appreciation there? You know, are we interacting from a place of peace ourselves. You know, in Zen they talk a lot about transmission, you know, like it's a, a special thing that only Zen masters know how to do. Not really doing, but anyway. But we are all we all transmit, right? All the time. You know, it's it's um, I mean you can feel it if you walk into a room and the person is a genuinely happy person. You feel good. You walk into the room and somebody's deeply depressed. You know, there's a heavy there's a heaviness in the room. You know, so that's what I mean by transmission. It's just that we're all doing it all the time. That you know, we may say something, but um, you know, as 
humans were all intelligent enough to pick up what is, may not be expressed in words, but you know, what, what the person is actually feeling, actually um, presenting. You know, so what, what does that look like? You know, what, what is, you know, our responsibility in that case? You know, what's our level of respect for the other person? You know, what, what, what is the way that, you know, what's the energy that we're bringing into the world? So that's something we can do something about, right? something that is within our control. It is the possibility to choose that, um, to choose to recognize that the means of whatever the interaction is with another person or, or with nature, with the environment, if we believe that what's what's critical is the end and the means, yeah, you know, do what's necessary. A few people get hurt or bruised along the way. But it, it's exactly the same movement. It's just on a on a personal scale. You know, it's um, n- not that different. It's it's just again, a matter of degree. And in, in one case, we can feel helpless about it. Another case, we can actually um, recognize um, our, our presence in the world and what does that look like. You know, and we can we can go down in deeper and deeper layers, right? We can um, act, um, you know, friendly and open-hearted, and um, you know, have this demeanor. Um, but if if we're doing it from the point of, well, I'm doing this as a spiritual practice, right? Feel a difference, you know. It's not that I'm just doing it because that's that's my an expression of my deepest nature. It's like, okay, I'm doing this as a practice. I'm doing this uh, to be nonviolent. I'm doing this to be, um, you know, a good r- religious person. I'm doing this because this is what, um, you know, my spiritual practice says I should be doing. Feel the difference? It's like, it's no longer just a free gift. It's no, no longer coming just out of generosity. There's, 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 a, there's an ulterior motive there. It's like, well, this will be good for who? Me, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'll gain merit from my spiritual practice, you know. So there's a payoff there. It's no longer just a, a generous outpouring of oneself. It's, um, it's a strategy. You know, so where, you know, who, who is that benefiting? You know, is it that the other person doesn't 
actually feel that. You can see that play out um, when, um, you know, when we feel like, um, you know, we should really help this group of people. You know, but from what mentality are we doing that? Is it, it, I mean, are we first concerned with, you know, what the issue is and then, you know, if there's anything I can do to help and can I do anything to help without making things worse or um, can I do something to help without um, diminishing the self-respect of the other person? starts to get a little more tricky than just I'm doing it because I know it's the right thing to do and they should be happy that I'm doing it for them. Right? You know, we can see that this, this whole um, area can be very delicate. So when we're, when we're interacting, um, it's... Um, it can be really, really instructive to just sense into um, not, not so much the means, not so much the um, rationale of why I'm doing this thing or, um, you, know, you, know, the, you know, how much this will benefit this other group of people that I'm doing it for, but really, really sense into the motivations for doing it oneself, right? Does that make sense at all? Because that can be very different. It can be very subtle. Yeah, I mean, we can believe that we're acting, um, you know, to improve my karma, right? Gain merit. You know, if I gain enough merit, then, then there's a payoff there somewhere. Right. But if we're, do, if we're doing something to, to gain merit, I mean, to earn our way into heaven, uh, to become enlightened, that we feel like somehow that, that action has to accrue to me. Um, it, well, the first assumption is somehow there's something lacking here that I have to earn. I mean, so that's the first area to question. So I'm not, I'm not worthy now but, you know, if I, you know, um, dedicate myself to service and helping people, then, then I, you know, maybe I'll, you know, sort of overcome my, my debt. At least get back to zero, right? <laughs> There's something about in this country, right? I don't know whether it's original sin or what, but it's somehow, there's, for a lot of people, it's like, you know, we start off in a hole that we never even knew we got into, how that happened, and somehow we have to earn our way out of it, that it, there's not a free pass there, that, um, um, you know, some, somehow there's a deficiency there that um, we have to, prove ourselves somehow or, or earn some level of okayness. Um, what, if, what if that wasn't true? That would change things, huh? <laughs>
What if, what if you found out one day that enlightenment had nothing to do with merit? I mean, it's also not true that um, you therefore become irresponsible. Yeah, almost uh, the reverse is actually true, that you realize that there's an, um, once you recognize what you really are, then there is much, much more responsibility than there ever was before for your actions. But they're, at that point, they're not coming out of, well, I should do this because, you know, that's what my practice dictates. It should do this because, you know, I'll earn merit, I'll improve my karma, etc. It's not done for any particular reason. It's just done because that's the obvious appropriate thing to do. So even, even in our day-to-day -day activities, especially in our day-to-day -day activities, it's not like they're inconsequential, right? They're an opportunity to really um, look, look within at from, from where am I acting at this moment? From where are these words that are coming out of my mouth coming from at this moment? You know, are they in alignment with what I most deeply believe, understand? Are they dismissive? Are they overbearing? Are they judgmental? You know, we have an opportunity every day to really look at this. This, this spiritual practice isn't isn't in a box somewhere else separated from the rest of life. Life, life is actually where we get to, you know, really practice, really be involved in it. There's not two separate things. There's not spirituality and worldliness. It's, it's, all, it's all, whatever it is, it's all one thing. It's miraculous enough that there's even one thing happening, you know, much less two, you know. <laughs> yeah. So this is an opportunity just um, every day in whatever the interaction is with other, other people especially, just to see, see where that's coming from in, in ourselves. Um, and one way to do that is, um, you know, it, maybe it's just as you walk up to somebody and, you know, before the first words are exchanged, um, you know, just to, in a sense, just to connect with the other person. You know, here's another <laughs> manifestation of existence right here in front of me. Connect on that level and then go from there. All right. You connect on that level, and whatever happens after that is going to be much more sincere, much more real, authentic, vulnerable, all those things. 
You know, if we walk up to somebody and then there's, we immediately try to conceptualize the other person, you know, what do they look like, how are they dressed, am I going to like this person or not, you know, what we usually do. You know, we can just approach it just from a different, different sense, see what happens. Because in, in a very real sense, um, the other person, no matter, no matter who it is, um, it is actually a manifestation of the same life source that we are. Right? We, d- we tend to ignore that and look at the differences. You know, look at the superficialities of it. You know, their beliefs, their opinions, what, whether we agree with them, whether we don't, you know, what they look like, you know, do I want to go out with them, you know, whatever it is. You know, we tend to look at it from that perspective and ignore the most fundamental thing, which is... Um, Here's, here's another being living through the same life with the same challenges, different circumstances, of course, but the same, you know, wins and losses, the same ups and downs. You know, so we tend, we tend to ignore that and, and focus on... Uh, the froth on the surface. So it's just like we did in the meditation this morning where we just settled in and came back to that simple awareness that is present. And we can, if we recognize that in ourselves as being fundamental, you know, is the other person not already aware? You know, so if we can see that as our own essential nature, can we not see it also in the other person? So where, where are we going to relate to and from? What's essential or what's... You know. And it's fine. I don't, I don't mean that, you know, we need to walk up to another person and... <laughs> yeah, I'm relating from my essential nature. <laughs> you know, it's not... It's not like that. I mean, you can still have a conversation and everything, but there's, there's an understanding that, you know, deep down that there's a, there's a connection at a different level than you may, you know, you may be talking about. So, um, you know, it doesn't have to be weird that way. It just, um, you know, we can still relate to each other. I mean, it's sort of the convention of the world to have that kind of conversation. But if 
Um, but if we get caught up in it, then we get focused on the differences, the opinions, the beliefs, you know, all the, all the, all the you know, minute things that we like or don't like maybe about the other person. And we totally ignore whatever the deeper connection is. So it's, it, we, can still, we can still have a conversation, but um, we can see that, you know, the beliefs and the ideas and opinions and experiences and uh, the personality of this other person is a result of their upbringing, right? Their experiences, their parents that they had, the culture they were born into, maybe the country they were raised in, the um, economic um, circumstances. All of those contribute to you know, one's ideas about the world and about themselves at some point. So if, we were, if we're relating on that level, um, we're relating on the circumstantial level. Um, and we can see in ourselves the, the difficulty that you know, we ourselves may have had in sort of getting through some of our own conditioning, right? Anybody had an easy time with that? <laughs> I mean, some, some of us, you know, may have had easier circumstances than others, clearly, no doubt. But even, you know, if, you know, one's upbringing was relatively free of trauma, abuse, Doesn't mean that life is necessarily a breeze, right? Still, still challenging. So if, if we can see that even with our own conditioning, the challenges that we've faced um, and the, the amount of work that it takes to see through some of our own conditioning you know, are we not willing to grant the other person that same benefit of the doubt? You know, maybe, maybe the other person that you're talking to or watching on TV hasn't, um, you know, hasn't devoted themselves to maybe the degree that you have to see through their conditioning. Um, which, again, is a result of conditioning, right? <laughs> you know? And so you can see that too, but you, at the same time, notice that it is still life expressing itself as that. And who are we to say that it should? So even to say that, you know, the other person shouldn't be acting like that. Can you sense into the arrogance of that? That I know how the other person should be acting, you know, without maybe fully recognizing their upbringing, their conditioning, their, you know, current circumstances, 
you know, what's going on in their life at this moment. But somehow we feel entitled to, you know, judge them for their behavior. It's not to say that, yeah, if I had a choice, I'd prefer to be around this kind of behavior and not so much around this kind of behavior. That's natural, right? We can, you know, it's not like we, you know, lose any sense of discrimination that way. But if we find ourselves in this situation or in front of this person, you know, are we willing to remain present for that? You know, and if we're not, why not? You know, even in that situation, you know, is there something that entitles us to be rude or dismissive or judgmental or... So there's a difference between seeing, it's not, not like the, some behavior um, isn't noticed as being, you know, the result of, you know, you know, deep, heavy conditioning. You know, we can see that, but there's a difference between seeing that, recognizing it, and judging it, judging, judging the person because of their behavior. You see the difference? You know, if we believe that the person is the behavior, that's the sum total of the person, how they behave, what they think, what their opinion is, that's who they are. We can think that if, if that's who we think we are, right? If what I am is limited to what I believe, my storyline, my history, my current situation, my hopes, my dreams, my fears, my desires, that whole package. That's what I am. If we believe that about ourselves, it's easy to believe it about the other person. You know, and then we're judging, judging and relating on on the level of froth. Right? So we ignore that their fundamental beingness, aliveness, manifestation of creation. We ignore that and we decide to relate based on my conditioning and your conditioning. And surprise, surprise, there's conflict. Right? Because what's important at that point is defense of my conditioning. You know, if I believe that's who I am and someone says, you know, you're a fool, Don, you know, there's something that reacts if that's what I believe that I am. You know, and they've noticed it and judged it and, you know, and then that lands somewhere because if I believe that's what I am, this belief about opinions and ideas and all of that, um, 
then, then there's conflict. But if, you know, if the same person, you know, says you're a, <laughs> says you're a fool, but um, there's a difference between acting unintentionally like a fool or making a mistake um, and being a fool as, as the totality of yourself, right? You know, being angry, being depressed, being judgmental, being envious, being, you know, if, if that's who you are, but it's not, right? That's, all of that, all of that is conditioned. All of that's conditioned. But it's not who we are. When we sensed in first thing this morning of just, you know, when we get, we sort of bypass the conceptual mind, all the opinions about who we are, and just go direct to perceptions and what's present. And we find out that what's present every time we take the time to stop and look, is this awareness? And that awareness is unconditioned. You know, so the, the, well, this whole journey isn't a resolution of our conditioning. You know, it, so, it sounds like it should be, right? You know, that what I need to do is is fix my conditioning. Well, especially the ones that I don't like. Right? The other part, you know, it's okay. But we're still we're still working on that level, and that's that's a lifelong process. It's not that we can't, you know, round off a few rough edges. That's fine. But you know, as long as we're defining ourselves as that's who we are, and we're going to improve our way to peace and happiness, um, well, we've got a long road. So the other alternative is just to really look closely to see what is most essential about ourselves. You know, and we can look and see that, you know, ideas that we have about ourselves change over time. Opinions change. Our bodies change. Circumstances, health, wealth, relationships, possessions. names <laughs> can change over time, right? All of that changes body's age. So when, when we really get serious about looking at what we actually are, is it any of those things that we're going to bet the farm on? That, that's who I really am. This idea, this belief system that's who I am. For an ever and ever, I know. I know I'm right now. I finally got the right set of beliefs, and I'm sticking to them.
But we can look at all, all of those are subject to change. But the one thing that's not subject to change is this, just this simple awareness, just this aliveness, right? Anybody not aware right now? So I'm not talking about, you know, special spiritual awareness. I'm not talking about elevated awareness. And, um, you know, sometimes in Eastern religions, they talk about pure awareness. And what I take that to be is just um, awareness prior to content, right? Just what's, what's already aware prior to whatever content arises within awareness, including thought, including feeling, including experiences, memories, etc. So just that very simple awareness that's totally functioning in everyone right now. Everyone. Almost everybody dismisses it because it's, well, it's not even special, right? Everybody has it. It's there without us trying to hold on to it. You can't attain it. You can't get rid of it. It's just there. But we dismiss it because it's the easiest thing in the world to dismiss. It's at, at, at first, it appears much less interesting than it, the objects that are arising in awareness. You know, we can be sitting in awareness and then that cell phone, oh, text, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, our fascination immediately goes there. So the reason I'm talking about awareness here is to see if, if we recognize in ourselves that the fundamental nature of that, then, um, we can also see that it's fully operational already in the other person. The other person might not give a hoot about it, right? Might not have never thought about it. It's okay. Awareness doesn't mind, actually. It's still, still functional, you know? It's not like, you know, the divine being of all, you know, says, ah, oh, he, he doesn't value awareness, you know. <laughs> you know, we're going to penalize that person. So that's, what the, that's the, actually the reason I said before that this awakening, enlightenment, isn't a merit-based activity. Um, because it is, it's just a recognition of what we already are, as simple as that, you know. But it's the last thing that we want to recognize. And part of it, I think, is just, um, you know, our mind, well, first of all, our mind wanting to stay in firm control, you know. I've always been your best friend, you know, you can trust me on this, 
you know, don't, don't do anything rash. I'll be the judge of what's right and wrong. And, um, you know, this idea of awareness, which is beyond my understanding as, as a mental conceptual mind, um, that's dangerous territory. Don't go there. Right? Mind, the conceptualizing mind wants to stay in control and will do anything to stay in control. And we're the ones that gave it that authority. There was, I mean, there was a time in all of our lives, first year, year and a half or so of our lives, um, that uh, the brain wasn't doing the conceptualizing thing, the thing where it talks to itself in sentences that runs on analog fashion one after another. That, it, it did, there's a year and a half of our lives that it did, it didn't have that capacity. Had to learn how to do that. You know, before that, it was alive, present, fully engaged, you know, curious, in awe of life, learning every second. But words weren't happening yet. You know, so we've, we've all had that experience of being, uh, of um, being alive, being in the world, without, without that mental freight train happening. So life, um, who's that uh, French philosopher, D Descartes, said, I think, therefore I am, right? Real famous. No, totally false. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, even to say that, um, I mean, there, there are times in all of our lives when thought has ceased. Right? Maybe not for a long time. Maybe yes. You know, when you've been surprised by something. Somebody tells a joke, suddenly your mind doesn't know what to do with it, it just stops for a fraction of a second. Walking along, you know, a bird suddenly flies out of the bush right up in front of you. In that moment, your mind stops. And then you know, like a half a second later, it's like, oh, it's a bird. You know, we convert it into a mental concept. So the reason I'm talking about this is that there is life, there's aliveness in this awareness. And if we can recognize that in ourselves, we can recognize it in the other person. And then we get to the interesting question of this awareness that I can recognize here. Is that my personal awareness? Or is it just awareness? 
You know, what we were all taught in school is that our brains generate consciousness. That's, that's what we're talking about, right? These brain cells. I haven't figured that out at all, how that happens. Other than there's a lot of them there and they, they must be up to something. But that's actually one of the fundamental questions of this whole journey, you could say, is that awareness that I can experience, um, is it generated from me, from this body-mind, or is it what's actually enlivening these body-minds? You see the difference? If it's what's enlivening this body-mind, is the awareness that I'm experiencing any different than the awareness that you're experiencing? Is there any boundary? My awareness ends there, and Kathy's awareness starts there and goes over that way. Is that how it works? Or is it just the same awareness being expressed here, being expressed there. Do we know? So the, the purpose of asking these questions isn't to come up with a conceptual answer or belief. That's actually less than useful, right? If we don't know, the answer to some of these questions, that's actually a pretty good place to start. You sense that? You know, if we don't know, we're sort of open to finding out. We're open to, you know, what may be revealed to us. We're open to being curious about it. You know, like, I wonder, I wonder if that could be true. You know, I wonder where this awareness originates from or where it starts or ends or sort of curious, right? So you can just sort of be open to how things really work rather than what anybody else says about them, what we were taught about them. Feels bigger, right? More expansive. So it's, it's really okay not to know. And we weren't taught that, you know, we were taught to have an answer. Asked a question, you know, Johnny, you're supposed to have an answer. But, you know, life, life is bigger than that. You know, so if, if we ask a, a question that, that we don't, you know, when we stop and really think about it, we don't actually know. Um, if we try to come up with a conceptual answer to put it back in the box, and then the mind can relax. Oh, okay, I know what that is now. You know, I know what I am, I'm, I'm awareness, so. Problem solved, mission accomplished, right? But we can, we can see that, you know, that, that attempt by the mind to put it in a box um, just limits it. So the same sort of rules, same sort of observations that we um, talked about in terms of relating to other people that we may run into day to day, um, we can also use for ourselves, right? 
You know, we can be nice to ourselves. We can be compassionate. Doesn't mean that we don't see things that need to be seen, but if we recognize that the things that need to be seen are are on the surface still, they're not essentially who we are, you know, it gives us a little breathing room between sort of what's, what's observing and what's being looked at. You know, if I've, uh, if I've got a um, uh, pattern of behavior, um, I don't know, let's, let's say it's just being judgmental. You know, if I, if I believe that my behavior defines in total what I am, I can't really look at that clearly. I can't look at it objectively. But if I am at least open to the idea that, you know, may, maybe, maybe what I am is, is other than that. Maybe what I am is just this sense of aliveness, this awareness. You know, is that awareness willing to look at at judgmental behavior? Awareness doesn't have any skin in the game. Why? Because it's not of the same dimension. It's not it's not within the conditioned me. It's outside of that, you know? So when we really get what this awareness is, it may seem a little flimsy at first, like, and I'd like something more solid like this, you know? I'd like this to be essentially who I am. And that's an aspect of who I am, but it's not the entirety of it, right? When we can see that what's really there is, mm-hmm, Awareness expressing itself through these body-minds. You could also say spirit having a human experience. I mean, there's different ways of talking about it. Right? But from the point of view of awareness, looking back at the conditioning and seeing that the conditioning is a matter of circumstances. You know, a matter of chance, a matter of what family we were born into, what experiences we've had. The awareness, awareness doesn't have a problem with that. It, it doesn't mean that it therefore just runs on like a, you know, on a, you know, car without a driver, it doesn't mean that. It, it actually allows us to look at um, how this body-mind functions um, more objectively. You know, when we recognize it's not fundamentally who we are, it, it allows us to look at it. It's much like, um, um, you know, if you were, if you were uh, a doctor, it's easier to do surgery on the other person than it is on yourself, right? So in, in a sense, it's like that. It's, it's a more objective. You can make clearer decisions. You could look at, you know, how the behavior affects the other person, how it 
you know, eventually, um, you know, works out in a situation, you know, what the, what the result of that behavior is, and we can see, okay, that's worthy of attention. I'll put that there. So we can, you know, look at these different levels of how we look at peace. You know, we can see it as big picture, peace in the world, but we can see that as not independently existing. It is a function of all of us expressing our level of understanding, and the net result looks like, well, looks like it looks, right? But what we do have immediate control over is how we are in the world day to day, what that looks like. And again, you know, are we expressing our deepest understanding? You know, or are we just putting a good face forward? Are we acting out our fears? You know, we have that choice, you know. What are we transmitting? And we can also look, you know, within, you know, what are, what are we running away from? What are we afraid to look at? What are we willing to acknowledge? What are we willing to explore? What questions are we willing to ask? You know, when, when we can begin to see that we can ask any question we want, we can challenge any belief that we might have. Um, truth isn't in danger. Truth isn't dependent on our belief in it or not. Right? What's, what's ultimately true, however we want to define that, isn't dependent on whether we believe it or not, right? It's not, it's not that vulnerable. That's what's true. You know, and the same goes for ourselves. What's, what's true within us isn't dependent on what questions we ask for ourselves, you know, what areas of ourselves we're willing to explore. We, we can look at all of that. I mean, it, I'm not saying it's easy. Sometimes it can be really hard. Sometimes the, um, the most difficult ones are the things that we believe are most true about ourselves and the world and how things work. You know, but to allow ourselves to really look at things clearly, not just on the surface, but, um, you know, just to really, to really sort of dive deep into it to see what, what that source really is. I mean, we can take something like, um, I don't know. We can take like climate change, big issue, right? Threatens threatens our species.
So it didn't just happen. I mean, it didn't just, you know, there wasn't just a few corporations or a few politicians that sort of pushed things in this direction, and that's the result of it. I mean, it's, it's, it's accelerating, but the, the root cause of it has been around for a long time. You know, we've just gotten to the technological abilities to actually implement um, our mental concepts about what will make me happier, which is more, more, bigger, better. Gross domestic product measure of our country. So again, it, it comes back to something really deep-seated in all of us. It's like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very similar to, yeah, well, I'm not really worthy now, but if I improve myself, you know, if I meditate for 20 years, then, then I'll be qualified, right? Maybe, you know. But it's actually a quite similar movement, you know, like the sense of mm, not quite satisfied now, but, you know, if I got a better job, changed relationships, moved into another house, adopted another belief system, changed the channel on my Netflix subscription, you know, so it's like, you know, a little dissatisfied now, but maybe more different, better. So there's this, always this movement. And that movement, you might notice, is always away from ourselves. So it's, we're, we're never willing to look at, um, uh, is, is there peace present here now? We dismiss that one out of hand. You know, something has to change in order to, for me to feel peaceful. Out in the world, at work, my neighbor. Some, as something, if something, if everything out there was just to the way I like it, then I'd be at peace, I'd be happy. Okay, anybody waiting for that to happen? Trying to manipulate things, get it just the way you want. The, the last place we're willing to look is here, now, as is. Last place. Couldn't be there. I'm certain of it. Again, we come back to certainty, right? And close the aperture. I know the answer already. But when we looked at just that present awareness at the beginning this morning, if we really sensed into that, 
Was there a sense of peace there? Without changing anything, right? All, all the external situations are unchanged. But we were willing just to s set aside our um, anxieties and fears and hopes and dreams and all that, just for a moment, just to settle in to see what's actually here. And if we, if we can touch into that and recognize that is home base, that's actually what frees us to function freely in the world. Right? If we recognize that what we truly are is, um, is unconditioned already, is at peace already, the, the awareness just by the nature of it isn't subject to harm. Doesn't mean difficult things don't happen, but awareness is present for those two. Awareness has been present for the entire show, right? Good, bad, ugly. If it wasn't present, you'd have no memory of it at all. So awareness isn't a fair weather friend. It's, it's there. It's, well, it's not other than who you are, so it's not going anywhere. When, when we recognize that, it allows us, um, well, it allows us to be more forgiving of our own conditioning, other people's conditioning. You know, if we can recognize how we've been judgmental in the past and we run into somebody else that's judgmental in the present moment, You know, we can react, respond from, you know, from understanding, you know, understanding the difficulty of seeing through one's own conditioning. And maybe, maybe we see a little bit more clearly than the other person, but isn't that, I mean, we're also more functional than a two-year-old child. That doesn't mean that you know, we should be dismissive of the two-year-old child, right? It's just seeing, yes, you know, we're all in the process of learning to fully actualize who we are as living beings and to really see that clearly. And that movement out in the world has, has an impact. You know, has vastly more impact than, you know, watching the TV and agonizing over the nightly news. That has, that actually has a negative impact. If, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, going out and, um, you know, doing what we can in terms of social justice and actually taking actions or talking to people, that, that can have an, an effect, especially if we do it from a place of peace, 
right? We're not doing it in, in antagonistic fashion to the, you know, you know, those ignorant people over there. We're doing it out of um, a deeper recognition of our connection, not only connection, our unity with all, all, all forms of expression. You know, we can see that, we can do that with other people, we can do that with nature. You know, if we truly see that, you know, what we are is one expression, you know, this is another ex- expression, expression of the same thing, right? So when we really see that, you know, we don't have to have um, we don't have to try not to abuse it any more than we have to try not to stick our hands in boiling water. You know, we just we wouldn't think to do it. Wouldn't think to abuse it. Not because there's merit involved or because our spiritual practice says so. It's just because there's that deep recognition that what that is is not other than what I am and what everybody else is. That's the connection. That's, that's the unity. You know, and if we can relate to our own condition structure that way, we can relate to other people's condition structure that way from a deeper, deeper place, that, um, that has power.